to the Word of God. I'll be speaking mainly to those that as of yet do not know the Lord Jesus, but if you're a believer here this morning, these four reactions to the Word of God apply to you too and apply to myself. So how do we listen to the Word of God? on the path. Children, can you remember what happened to the seed that fell on the path? Can you remember what happened? Yes? It got pecked by the birds, didn't it? What's your name? Becky? Well done, Becky. Good listening. It pecked. There's a seed, it's fallen down, and it's pecked. But what does that mean? That means the word has been preached, it's being preached now, Christ is preaching through a weak man, and it's dropped. It's dropped on a hard path, not on the good ground. And that beaten down path is our hearts before God begins to deal with us. And this is a heart that's hard to the truth. And what happens is, you can hear the message, you can perhaps understand it in your mind, but not your heart. And before you can even digest it, the devil distracts you, he snatches it away. That great murderer of souls and thieves of sermons, as we thought. And that picture is like a bubble of God's truth and suddenly it's just burst by the most mundane and ordinary thoughts. Could be you've got to get your car in for the service tomorrow. You've got to book a holiday. The football, how your football team got on. The shopping you've got to do. A walk you want to do. Anything but the truth of God. Anything about this message which will save your souls. Is that you this morning? Now, if it is, could do you mind if I point something out to you? For anyone, we're talking about eternity here. We're talking about your never-dying soul and my never-dying soul. We're not talking about the things of this life. Just think how much attention you pay to other things which are far less of importance. They say that uh, you should listen to a sermon like you listen to a will being read, one man said with a bit of humour. Imagine that, you think, well, great auntie Sutton has died and I've got to go to the solicitor's office, I wonder what she's left me. You try not to be too covetous or greedy, but you listen with great intent. You think about when the doctor says, I need to see you. And you think, it doesn't sound good, and he starts his conversation with, I'm afraid I haven't got very good news. You're all ears then, aren't you? That's for your body. What about when you're flying and the gate you need to go on and... uh, uh, where you need to be in the time of your flight and how early you need to be to get there and what you need to take. What about if you have investments and they say you need to do this, you need to do that. What about if you're in some hobby like golf and you go to the golf professional and he says, look, I'm going to pay attention to how to improve your, your swing, your fitness programs. All these things and yet the greatest message, the most sobering message, the most joyful message, the message which will affect your eternity, we go, all oh, that again. It's gone. It's awful. We dismiss eternity. We dismiss judgment. We dismiss the love of God. We dismiss heaven. We dismiss hell. Do you not think there's something odd in that? If I was to stand here and start speaking about spacemen and aliens, you'd pay attention to that. But to, to speak to you 
that lady's wisely shaking her head, but to speak to you about your soul and heaven and hell, you just dismiss it? Does it not even seem illogical? Do you not think, well, this man's telling me, or the word of God is saying to me that there is a heaven, there is a hell, I need to be right with God, and yet why, why will I not even investigate this any further? In the Bible, it's described as being caught in the strong man's house. Jesus spells, tells another parable about the strong man's house, and he keeps his goods in peace. And if you like that this morning, you're stuck hard in your sin. Your heart is absolutely dead to the Lord, and you can't bring yourself to life. Only God can. I heard a lovely story uh, how a man encouraged someone to what's called attend the means of grace. How can you be helped if you're caught in this this deadness we're all born into well this man said this you need to put yourself where there's going to be wind so he says you need to read the bible you need to pray to the lord you need to hear the word of god being preached you need to listen to sermons read good books where the wind is you need to put your sail up as well and pray that god will catch you so i would urge you my friend if you're like that this morning your heart even now as i'm speaking is bored it's dull it's lifeless you even think it might be true but you don't care is to cry out to God and say, Lord, give me the gift of faith, because I can't change myself. I think there's something in this. Lord, help me. And the Lord has promised, if you seek him with all your heart, and all your soul, and all your mind, you'll find him. You cry out to him, and he'll draw you to him. Perhaps you've got loved ones in this state. Some of us have children, or brothers, or sisters, or grandchildren, people we care about. What can you do? Well, by all means, point them to the Word of God. Use the Word of God. But pray to the one who gives life itself. Ask him to intervene in their lives. That's their only hope. We need Jesus Christ, the one who raises men from the dead. Their bodies, but spiritually too. Are you, this morning, like the seed that's fallen by the wayside? But there was some other ground. Another reaction is the stony ground. And this fell... In stony ground, it couldn't go down very far because of the stones. It sprung up, and then the sun came up and shriveled it up. This seems promising. Someone hears the message about Christ, and they they seem to receive it with, with great joy and happiness. Great emotion. They're moved by a sense of God's love, of heaven, of the example of Jesus to follow. It gives them a sense of purpose. They enjoy spending time with God's people. There's even a, a peace in the worship and the hymns. But it's all about how it makes them feel. If it, as long as it makes them feel good, as long as it gives them a feeling of peace, they're all right. But what happens? Some trouble comes. They share at work that they're a follower of Jesus now. People in their family that don't believe find out. Friends that don't know Christ find out. And then a bit of persecution comes. You're not a Bible basher, are you? You don't follow Jesus. You believe in Jesus. You believe that he made the earth. No one believes that. Your God can be called by any names. Well, we're not going to invite you with us to go out. And they start to shun you. A friend of mine in the village where he lives, he's quite well known, but he said when he became the pastor of the church, the invitations to people's houses to have meals slowly dropped off one by one. They found it a little bit uncomfortable. It was right when he was just a Christian, an ordinary Christian, so to speak, but to actually be preaching the truth and telling people and warning them, that rubbed them up the wrong way. And to these people, 
They find life hard at work. They find life hard at school. Life hard at university. And they think, I didn't sign up for this. There's examples in the Bible. I'll give you one. Herod, John the Baptist, he spoke to him. He heard the word with joy. He wanted to hear John the Baptist, what he had to say. He was so happy. But then he also spoke to him about Herodias, his brother's wife, who he was planning to marry. He said, you're not allowed to do that. And he was offended. And uh, he took his life. Now, why does this happen? Can someone lose their salvation? No. No, not if you truly trusted in Christ. But this is feelings-based. There's no particular conviction of sin. There's no depth there. There's not a desire for a holy life. And so it shoots up, looking for that which will fix life. Jesus, if I might put this, if I can say it reverently, is the cherry on the cake. That's all they're missing. They've got various things. They just need Jesus and everything will be all right. And as long as life is all right, then they're happy. But they don't want to suffer for him. And you can see great enthusiasm. It can be almost bewildering for a true believer that's been converted and is slowly making some progress. They see someone, I've seen it myself, and they're at every meeting. They're very enthused and saying, we should be doing this and doing that. And then three or four months later, six months later, they stop coming, and it's like they've never known the word of God at all. Easy come, easy go. It's like an insubstantial fire. You know, if you make a fire... You can just get some fire and some cardboard and it'll go up really easily, won't it? But it'll die off really easily. You need some decent wood in there. Well, is this you? You understand that you're a sinner, that you're under judgment, you need forgiveness, but you're caught up in the feelings of it all. You're caught up in just, it might give your life a bit of peace. But there's not that earnest, heartfelt desire to be right with the Lord at all costs. Christ is to be your Lord as well as your Saviour. And what wisdom is needed when we deal with souls? That's why I don't agree with calling people to the front, issuing the great call and say, do you want to come and put your faith in Christ? I'm not saying that's never used to some effect, but it seems to me very unwise. Just say, say this little prayer with me, and we point people to Christ and his great love and his willingness to forgive and entrust the Holy Spirit. Are you on stony ground this morning? What's your motive for being here? Are you thinking about giving up the Christian life? Now, a true believer can be tempted to do that, but has this been a pattern for you? Have you really gone to the Lord Jesus? Is he your everything? Is he your hope? Is he the great pearl of great price? So that's another reaction. And as Christians, we can be like that. We go along with the truth and say, yes, I need to change, but then it costs us something. We say, I didn't, I didn't bank on this. As a believer, we can be like that. What about the thorns? This is really promising. This is more growth now. The seed has landed. It's grown. It's reached a reasonable depth. But at the same time, there's a nasty thorns growing with it. And in time, the thorn chokes it and it dies. Well, this is someone that's made a profession. They thought, well, I, I, I want to follow Jesus. I don't want to go to hell. I'd like to know his love. I'd like to be a a disciple of his, that would be attractive to be more like him. But at the same time, they're just as worried about this world. They're prepared to endure some hardship even. And yet over time, their, their attendance falls away, or if they do, they stay in name only, and have a profession in name only, or they leave off altogether. Now what's happened here? Well, the Lord tells us it's the, the thorns or the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of Riches. 
Luke, it talks about the pleasures of this life. So this is someone that's heard the message and is trying to follow Christ and yet have as good a time in this life as they can. Or following Christ and yet the cares of this world, so they worry about their money, their health, their career, their relationships, the things that could be affected. They forget about their soul, that the time of proportion on their soul is negligible. And the time proportion on their body in this life gets all out of proportion. And they perhaps live from holiday to holiday. They want to fit as much enjoyment in their life as they can and tick the box as a Christian too. That's their focus. And the worries, I mean, we all have things we worry about, don't we? But, and we right to worry about our bodies and about our relationships But what about our soul, which will live forever and this body will die? And what about the relationship with God himself? They're trying to ride two horses. And you know, a man can't ride two horses and someone can't serve God and this world. And riches are so deceitful. Why are they deceitful? Well, in two ways. That's what Christ said, the deceitfulness of riches in that parable. Well, simply, you can't take it with you. You've got to leave it all behind. Your nice house, all your holidays, all your money you've saved up, all your nice clothes, all your trips to the gym and the beauty salon, whatever it is, whatever you invest in your time and money, you can leave it all behind one day. And the soul, each one of us, will appear before our maker. And all that will be gone. That's why it's deceitful, it's for this life only. And then it's gone. And yet we live as if that's all there is. But the second thing is, is... um, it doesn't guarantee peace. You only have to read the heartbreaking stories of some of the lottery winners. I condemn the lottery. You should earn your money lawfully. And you can have all that money. And they're ruined. Why are they ruined, so many of them? Why are some of them so depressed? Well, we're taught by the world around us, you just need more money. You need more stuff. You need this, that, and the other, and, and then you'll be happy. But you're not. You can have all these things. And you'll still say... What is next? That's how I was converted. That's how the Lord dealt with me, dealing with a very rich man in a place I was working in London. I listed to him all the things you've got. And speaking now as an unbeliever, I said, you're very lucky. He said, I'm very lucky. He said, but sometimes it feels like there's something missing. I said, how can you be happily married, have children, have all this wealth, be very fit, be well-travelled, be a man's man, and say there's something missing? I don't know. I said, how often do you feel like that? two or three times a year, just for a short time, and it goes. And that frightened me. I think he's got everything this world can, can offer. I thought, I don't want to be rich in him. I don't want to fly around in jets. If I've got a few million quid stashed away, and I can go free full parachuting and keep myself fit, and I'll happily marry some children, I'll, I'll, that'll be me. But he's not happy. You won't be happy. You can have all those things. You'll be a soul inside a big house with a nice car going on holidays, and that soul's going to meet the Lord one day. It's a distraction. Don't try and serve God and serve mammon. We see it in the Bible, don't we? The rich young ruler, he knew the truth, but Jesus looked in his heart and saw how important money was to him. He said, well, give it all up and follow me. There's nothing wrong with being rich. If you find yourself being wealthy, all God requires of you is to honour him with your wealth. So, Help the poor, help the needy, help others, be wise with it. Don't just live for yourself. He doesn't say give it all away. He might tell you to do that. But the rich young ruler, his problem was it, that was his God. 
And he was very keen to follow Christ, but to a point. And he says he went away very sorrowful. We think of Demas that worked with the apostles. He was involved in gospel work, telling people about Jesus. Then slowly, it says he forsook them. He was slowly led astray. Why? It's hard work, gospel work, that rejection, persecution. I want a quiet life. He gave them all up. I'll just make the most of this life. I didn't sign up for that. And surely the most frightening example in all of Scripture is Judas, taught by the Lord himself for three years. And he had a love of money in his heart. He got so angry when the, the uh, uh, Mary, I think it was, that broke the perfume over Christ's head and his feet and, and just mocked it. And it was worth a small fortune. But Scripture says he wasn't angry because he cared about the poor. He wanted the money to go into the bag because he was a thief. Imagine that. I used to think before I was converted, but seeking the Lord, if I now could be with the Lord, I'd be all right, I'd be saved. No, it's faith saves you, which God gives you. It's trusting in him. And Judas went a long way, but in his heart he carried the love of money. And even then they got bigger and bigger and bigger, and that was more important to him. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world, everything you could ever want, but lose his own soul? If you're like that this morning here, if you've seen the message of Jesus, if you agree it's true and in your heart you want it to a point, but you're only willing to give up so much or you want to have the best life possible, or don't read Hebrews 11 because it says people there lived in caves. They were sawn in two. They wandered about in deserts, in goatskins. Why? Because they were looking for a heavenly country. You're not looking for eternity. You've been blinded by the devil. There's nothing wrong if you've got money or comfortably of, nothing wrong with that at all. Don't, don't let it become an idol. Are you trying to have Christ and have this world? If you really understood your position, if you really knew what happens after you die without having Christ, you wouldn't think so much about money. If you really knew the beauty of his love and his forgiveness and what he promises to those that go to heaven, then anything this world offers would be vain and shallow. You need the Lord to give you a deeper understanding. You need a true repentance the thorns. There's a great danger in our materialistic Western world of this. People I know that have been to Africa say they pity us, the poor there, the poor Christians. They say we're so choked up by our wealth. We're so deadened to the things of this world. Jim Elliot said this, the, the Christian missionary that was martyred. He is no fool to give up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's profound, isn't it? He's no fool to give up that which he cannot keep, everything in this life, to gain that which he cannot lose, to, to be blessed by God with eternal life, his love, be a child of God. To know that in a hundred years' time you'll be before Christ, a beloved child of God, in a million years. But would you be so foolish this morning, you're so consumed with your career, your money, your time down the pub, whatever it is, that you think nothing of these things and you'll soon be dying and meeting your maker. It's a tragedy. But God can rescue you from that. You can't rescue yourself from that state. Jesus can rescue you. You're caught fast in your sin. I can't rescue you. No one here can rescue you, but the Son of God can. He's willing to rescue you if you turn to him. Well, lastly, the fourth response, the good soil. It's interesting. We've seen there's been three bad reactions to the word of God. 
And now there's one good reaction, but there's three stages of fruit bearing. Three soils not bearing fruit, three degrees of fruitfulness. We're grateful for that. So we learn something straight away, that all are not equally fruitful, but all bear fruit. We could all bear a hundredfold if we listen to the uh, injunction, exhortation from James, where we're told not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Because it's in the doing we're blessed. That's what it says. I paraphrase there. We're told in Luke about this parable that the seed fell into good ground of an honest and a good heart. Honest means sincere there. So this is someone that's heard the message and they want Christ for who he is. Not as the cherry on the cake. Not as the missing piece of the jigsaw. I personally, I don't want to be judgmental of other men's preaching, but I'm not comfortable with that phrase, a God-shaped whole. God is your life. He's not just a little bit that fits into your heart. He is your heart. And this is the good and honest heart. They want to serve God. They want, they're willing to give up anything. Not just want some nice feelings, so they treasure that and peace and joy. They want to know Christ. And repentance means a change of mind, which means a change of heart, which is a turning from life as it is, as you are, and falling upon Christ. It's not staying there trying to sort yourself out first and get the right feelings. It's saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. The night I was converted, I felt stone cold and the Holy Spirit showed me I could tell. I was desperate to know Christ. I could turn as I was. God gave me the gift of faith. And I fell upon Christ and I was born again. Don't waste precious months and years trying to work up all the right feelings. All the fitness he requireth is to know your need of him. That's all he needs. Do you know you're a sinner? Do you want forgiveness? Do you want the Lord Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Do you want him to save you from sin? Well, he stands here this morning, unseen, in this building, willing to forgive all that come to him. You must know that he's your only hope. The Lord often spoke about being like a little child, didn't he? That simple childlike trust for forgiveness. And we get so complicated about these things. The least amount of, of faith God will listen to. It says faith like that moves mountains, the mountains of our sin. So it's turning to Jesus as the Lord of your life and, the Savior, and trusting in him. And he bids so often to come, come, come. In uh, 1 John, I think it is, it says this is his command that we should repent and believe on Christ. It's a command from God, but sent in love for our good. He has no desire in the death of the wicked. It's not sent like this, do this as I'll throw you into hell. There's an earnestness. There's a pleading. You say, well, prove that to me from Scripture. Well, I'll show you our Saviour on a hill looking at Jerusalem, weeping. And saying, oh, Jerusalem. I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks. You've got such judgment coming your way. If only you had listened to me, I would have gathered you. I would have loved you. I would have protected you. I would have led you to heaven. And Jesus said, if you've sinned me, you've sinned the Father. God the Father isn't helpless in heaven in that sense, but his heart is of love to the hardened sinner. saying, I offer you mercy. He holds his wrath back with one hand and said, Sinner, I offer you mercy. My son has done all that you need. No, turn to him. Go to him. Luke says about the seed, about being kept, they keep it in their heart. You know, when you come to know the Lord Jesus, we don't keep ourselves, he does. But there is that sense from our perspective. You think, I'd rather lose everything but lose Christ. 
There's some things I dread to lose if I'm called to. I dread to lose my children, if that's the Lord's will, my wife, certain conditions. But you say, when it comes down to it, I can't be without Christ. Persecution, by God's grace, give me the strength to suffer. Give me the strength to die, Lord, before I give you up. You say with the psalmist, yes, Lord, I could do with some more money, but don't give me so much that I turn away from you. May I not be so poor that then I want to turn away from you either. But Lord, just keep me. Do you ever pray like this, believer? Lord, I'd like this, but if it's not good for me, don't give it to me, because I don't want my heart to be led astray. It's a good prayer. He becomes the pearl of great price. And it says they bear fruit. You say, well, what, what fruit is this? And every good tree does bear fruit. That's what it says in uh, Matthew. Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. We're not what we should be, but we thank God we're not what we once were. But this fruit, what is it? Well, it's summed up in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness and temperance. Against such there is no law. It's amazing. Perhaps you're here this morning thinking, I could never be a Christian. I look at these Christians around me. They seem so godly. They seem so kind, so fruitful. There's no hope for me. The wickedness in my heart. Is there any hope for me? Yes, there is. Jesus says, come to me. I came to save sinners, not the righteous. You've got to bring your sin to me. I love sinners like you that come to me. I've atoned for your sin if you come to me. I'll do something in your life you can't possibly imagine. But I do like that there's this indication of different means of growth. First you get the, um, the little blade coming through, don't you? Then you get the head, then you get the full corn, it says. And there's these degrees of growth. How do we grow? Well, Jesus says that we're to abide in him to stay in him, stay in his word in obedience to him and he makes us more like him. It's a wonderful thing. Now thinking of when you come to the Lord, people come to the Lord in many different ways but you end up at the same place. Not every conversion is the same. Some people come utterly weighed down with guilt and sin. They can barely get up in the morning. It's on their mind every day. They feel so wicked and bad. That's some people, that's the Philippian jailer, wasn't it? Who cried out with terror, Lord, what must I do to be saved? Some are like Lydia. He says, the Lord gently opened her heart. She knew something of this, just a touch that she wasn't right with God. Or I preached on the story of Zacchaeus recently. He was curious about Jesus. I think there's a little bit more going on in his heart, but basically he was curious, up a tree. He wasn't there weeping over his sin. He was a greedy, hardened tax collector. He was more interested in money, He didn't care, he was hated because he was colluding with the Romans. What does Jesus say? Zacchaeus, come here. As a children's song says, Zacchaeus, come down for that tree, for I'm coming to your house to tea. It's a beautiful thought, isn't it? He called him. And Zacchaeus, he repented, he just turned down. What happened when he came to Jesus? He was a changed man, Christ changed him. He begins to give his money away. Perhaps you're like Zacchaeus this morning, you only have a small sense of sin. You just have a small sense of the things of God, but you're persuaded that Jesus is the way. And he says, well, come to me then. He's got such a big heart, an infinitely big heart, and he'll save you. 
Well, we haven't got time to go into the marks of a child of God. That would be another sermon. But how are we listening to the word of God this morning? Have you forgotten already? As I used to. And you think, when will he stop and say amen? Is that you this morning? Are you wanting to follow the Lord, but you're not willing to suffer hardship? And sadly, that will cost you so much in eternity. Are you trying to follow Christ and yet have the easiest life now with as much money and pleasure as you can? No. He's your everything. Go to him as you are as a little child. He'll willingly forgive you. He'll change your life. If you want to be like that good fruit, that good ground which uh, brought forth much fruit. Well, the Lord bless these thoughts from his word to our hearts. Amen. Well, this last hymn is a a prayer, 547. I bring my sins to thee, the sins I cannot count, that all may cleansed be in thy once opened fount. I bring them, Saviour, all to thee, thy burden is too great for me.